Good morning, church. Let me also add my warm and hearty welcome to each and every one of you who braved the cold, the snow, and whatever else you had on your way in to join us to worship a God who pursues us with reckless love. Amen? It's that kind of a God that's worthy of our worship. You know, we live in a world where peace is greatly desired, but very rarely found. Just this morning in the news, you read, perhaps you read, that two IEDs went off in a Catholic church, killing many. Religion rising up against religion to pursue and to push forward their own agendas. Nation against nation to protect their own interests. Political party against political party. Do we really need to go anywhere besides our wonderful country here? We just had a horrific shutdown of the government because one political party or the other wants to push forward its own agenda. But it's not just governments and nations or religions, it's families. Families against families in conflict because of perceived insults or whatever wrongs they feel were committed against them. Perhaps it's between a husband and wife or parents and children over whatever the cause might be. Just conflict. Conflict. And even though there's such a desire for peace in every one of our hearts, we as broken image bearers of God find it very hard to live at peace with one another because we're messy. We're messy. And we live in a messed up world, and we want peace, but rarely do we find it. And oftentimes, the world uses brute force to coerce us to live at peace with one another. But living under a brute force kind of a regime isn't really peace, is it? It's just keeping the peace. It's like when you go to your in-laws or your parents' house over Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? And your spouse gives you that list of things you don't talk about, right? Why? Because you want to just figure out how to survive the meal and the few minutes of the idle conversation and escape back home. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. Maybe it's just me, my house, but, you know, maybe you're all good. Praise God for that. We have this do not talk about list that we don't bring up because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We're peacekeeping, not peacemaking. There's a difference. Peacekeeping is about avoiding confusion and avoiding strife and avoiding a fight. Living somehow where we pretend everything's okay and perhaps you're here this morning and there's somebody in this auditorium you really aren't happy with or there's a broken relationship and you're hiding and you're hoping they don't see you. You sneak out the back. You kind of duck your head when they're around hoping they don't see you because you don't want to deal with the mess of that pain. You're not the only one. We're all in it together. We're living in messy worlds and messy shoes. We're messy ourselves. Peace is so greatly desired, but so rarely do we find it. One author said it this way. In fact, Hayden Robinson, author of Salt and Light, said it this way. No peace will exist between nations until peace reigns in each country. And no country will have peace until peace dwells with the people. And no people will have peace until they surrender to the Prince of Peace. Amen? Jesus didn't come into this world to coerce us and to force us to live together. He came into this world to effect an internal transformation so that from the inside out, we have reconciliation with God so that we can build bridges with each other. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what we find in the letter to, the, to Philemon that Paul wrote. And we've been in this letter for the last couple of weeks and over the last two weeks, we've looked at how relational barriers come down and how in Christ we have Sacred fellowship with those who are in Jesus Christ. 
But today, I hope to talk about what I believe is the main thrust of this passage in this letter, and that is peacemaking. Peacemaking. And in fact, as we look at some verses from this letter today, I hope to share with you three traits of a peacemaker. And the first is that peacemakers approach people with kindness. You know, it's a major task that Paul has, and actually every one of us has, when we think about relationships that, that are broken that we know about, or perhaps it's in our own life. Perhaps you're here and your marriage is broken. Perhaps you're here and your relationship with your children, it's broken. Perhaps it's your neighbor, perhaps it's your coworker, perhaps it's your small group. Whatever the case might be, every one of us has broken relationships. And we tend to find it very hard when we have interpersonal conflict to deal with it. Because whenever we're hurt, we tend to put up walls very quickly. It's like gas prices. Gas prices go up very fast, and they come down very slowly, right? But that's how it is with us. We put up walls. We're hurt. We're insulted. We feel a perceived threat. We put up walls of resentment and pain, and we keep everybody away, and those walls are almost impossible to tear down. And that's what Paul finds himself in as he has a friend of Philemon who's living in Colossae. And this runaway slave named Onesimus who's come to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul and the grace of Jesus. And he's trying to bring these two people together to bring restoration to a broken relationship. And the first thing he does is he approaches it with kindness. Notice verse number four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. You know, whenever Paul thinks of Philemon, whenever he remembers Philemon in prayer, the first thought, the first attitude that comes up, welling up in his heart is thankfulness. He's full of thanks, because in verse 5 it says that Philemon loves the people of God, and Paul thinks that's wonderful, and he's so full of thanksgiving for this man who loves the people of God. The church met in Philemon's home. That means he had sacrificed week after week. He had a commitment to clean up and to set up and to prepare food and to get the house ready so that people could come and worship God. That meant cleaning up the mess that people left behind. If you're part of a small group, if you're hosting a group, you know what I'm talking about. There's a sacrifice required to have people come in and out of your your home. That was Philemon. The, The church met in his house. And he was willing to take on that beloved service. And Paul's heart was full of thanksgiving to this wonderful Christian brother whose faith was evident in the way it lived out in his life. Notice verse number 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And we've talked about that verse last week and perhaps even the week before where the sharing of your faith is talking about fellowship. The fellowship of the faith that Philemon has with the brothers and sisters in Christ and that love that he has for those people are evident whenever those people come and he has fellowship with them in his house as a church. And Philemon, in verse number 7, Paul tells Philemon what he means to him. and He says, for I have desired much joy. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You know, you spend some time with Philemon and you come away refreshed. You might come to his house broken and and depressed and downcast and, and just horrendously feeling tired and weak and you leave feeling energized and full of life because Philemon's the kind of guy that has the Spirit of God upon him. His house is where you find Jesus and you're energized when you leave. 
And Paul is like, I want to be there, Philemon. I want to be there to minister to the people. But I can't be there because I'm in jail in Rome. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the ministry that you have in your home where people are refreshed through your love. Praise God for every one of you who is a life group leader or a host. Because it's people like you that are refreshing the saints of God. And we could spend a lot of time in these verses, but you can hear the heart of Paul as it is full of love and care and thankfulness for Philemon. The fruits of the Spirit are evident in Philemon. And so Paul uses this first few verses of this letter to communicate all the good things that God is doing in Philemon's life. And it's a really wonderful strategy for us to follow when we're trying to make peace between two people. It's to start with kindness. Now, just to be clear, Paul isn't flattering Philemon, there's no conceit in these words. It's like my daughters when they come to me and say, Hey, Daddy, how are you? I hope you're okay. I know I love you so much. What do you think the next question I ask is? Uh Uh-huh. What do you want? Why? They're buttering me up to set me up for something. But it's not Paul. Paul's real here. When you enter into a relationship that's broken, you cannot enter it with flattery. You cannot enter it with conceit. You cannot enter it with flattery and falsehood. It has to be based upon kindness and honesty and truthfulness. Because until those people who you're trying to bring together are convinced of your love for them, that attempt goes nowhere. And Paul, using kindness, approaches this with love and enters into this messy situation that we're going to talk about with kindness and love and truthfulness. And that's the trait of a peacemaker. We approach people with kindness. The second trait is to engage in messy situations. So in verse number 8, Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Jesus Christ. And Paul's very gentle. Remember, he's approaching it with kindness, but he's also very, very gentle. We're almost halfway through the letter, and Paul hasn't yet brought up Onesimus' name. In fact, he won't do that for another two more verses. In fact, there's nine more verses that will have to go by before Paul gets to the specific request that he wants Philemon to do for him. What's he doing? He's being very gentle, and he's starting it slow. You know, after over 20 years of marriage, I know when I'm in trouble. It's hard for some of you to believe, but I fight with my wife, and we have heated arguments, and sometimes it gets messy. And when I get angry, my wife gets very slow. Like words come very measured and she starts adding all of these wonderful, kind words. I know I'm in trouble. She's about to lay it on me. She's about to give me the blow I deserve, but she does it with such gentleness. And she does. She's sitting right there. You can ask her. But you know what I'm talking about, men or women, ladies? You get slow and you start to add kindness and you maybe get quiet because you're about to give your husband the blow he deserves. We deserve it. And that's what Paul does. He takes the time to measure his words, to be gentle and kind, because he's entering into a very messy situation. But you've got to ask yourself, this is Paul. Who is he? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? That gives him the authority to tell people what to do, right? He could have said, I'm Paul. I'm the apostle. God has vested in me authority. I command you, Philemon, to accept Onesimus. He could have done that, right? The story would have been over, put a period... Next book. But he doesn't do that. It's very interesting in all the other letters that Paul wrote. That's the kind of tone he takes. 
He takes a very authoritative and commanding role. Whenever he's dealing with spiritual issues in the church, he says, I'm the apostle. You need to do this because I told you so. But not here. He's gentle, and he makes an appeal out of love. And that's very important for us because the appeal we make when we're entering into a situation to bring two people together isn't anger and it isn't violence and it isn't trying to coerce people. It's gentleness and love. And it's a messy situation that Paul is dipping his toes in. Peace only comes when two people are willing to come together to bring reconciliation. Otherwise, you just have a truce. It's just peacekeeping, not peacemaking. Notice verse number 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. <clears throat> Formerly he was useless to you, but, he now, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Seven verses Paul has spent talking about all the wonderful things in Philemon's life. Verses 10 to 16, Paul takes the time to talk about all the wonderful things God is doing in the life of Onesimus. And he says there, I appeal to you for Onesimus, my son. I have given birth to him in, in the faith. He's come to Christ as a result of my ministry and the grace of God. He is like a son to me. I appeal to you for this runaway slave. But it's very interesting. As Paul is looking at Onesimus as he writes this letter, his heart is so full of love and he, he's telling Philemon through this letter, look Philemon, this runaway slave has been redeemed. He's not the same man who ran away from you. In fact, in verse 11, you have a play on words. The, word, the name Onesimus means useful or profitable. And so what Paul is saying in verse number 11, when he ran away from you, he may have been useless to you, no good to you. But now in the providence of God, he's been saved and he's been transformed. He's no longer the useless slave that ran away. He's now useful. He's transformed. He's the new and improved Onesimus. Isn't that what God does for every one of us? The transforming power of Jesus Christ comes into our lives and turns us useless people into useful children of God. Amen? That's what God does in our lives, and that's what God did in the life of Onesimus. He transformed him into a useful, beneficial, profitable child of God. And so in verse number 12, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. <clears throat> I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. And so now having had Onesimus be transformed, now useful, now profitable, Paul's saying, this man, this, this man is so good to me. He's useful for me in my ministry. He refreshes my heart, Philemon. I don't want to send him to you. When I send him to you, it's like my own heart is being ripped out and sent back to you. If you're a military family, you know how that feels. When your spouse or your child is deployed overseas, it's like you're ripping your heart out and sending it out. When I was away from my family for a year, when they were repatriated and I was still in Germany, I'd come back on business. And I'd come for a week, and when the week was over, I'd be getting ready to go pack up and go. And, I, and my son, he would hide the suitcase, or, or hide the shoes, or, or hide the keys, because he didn't want me to go. When I finally found the shoes or the keys or the, or the luggage and I'd put all my stuff in and I, I'd start to head out the door, he'd say, Daddy, don't leave. Oh, that's a really hard thing to hear. For him, it was horrendous. His dad was leaving. Daddy, don't leave. But I have to. And that's what Paul is saying here. I don't want him to go. I don't want to send Onesimus back to you, Philemon. But I have to let him go because it's the right thing to do. But you got to ask yourself, why is Paul 
sending Onesimus back to Philemon. I mean, why can't we just let bygones be bygones? Why not just pretend it's all? I mean, after all, Philemon has probably forgotten Onesimus, right? They come, they go, forget about it. Why is Paul sending him back and picking at the scab that's probably already healed over? Why? Because it was the right thing to do. And it's the righteous thing to do. When we have a broken relationship, the right thing to do is to find a way to build the bridges that bring reconciliation, whether that's in our own life or in the life of people that we already know. We have to be willing to engage in messy situations because that's what God wants of each one of us. Peacemakers approach people with kindness because love is kind, and they're willing to step into messy situations to help bring reconciliation. And in the providence of God, Onesimus went to Rome and became a child of God, and now Paul steps into the middle of this messy situation to build a bridge between these two people to bring reconciliation and harmony. Now, let me just say very clearly that there are some messy situations that you and I have no business entering. Some situations are too messy for us, and and we need help. We need professional help to deal with those kinds of situations. But let me also say that we cannot enter into a messy situation where we don't know the people, where we don't have a relationship, because all we will do is just make things worse. We're a detriment to that process if we don't have any relational equity between those two parties. Those two people need to know we love and care about them, and that's got to happen when we build relationships. Paul has the advantage of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has the advantage of having the authority of Jesus Christ on him. You and I, we're not apostles. We don't have that same authority. But what we can do is imitate Paul in the way he built up relationships. All throughout his life, he was building relationships so that when crisis occurs, he can step into the middle of those issues and say, come on, let's talk about this. Let's get together and build those bridges of relationship and love. If you and I don't build relationships, we can't ever get into the middle of a messy situation and try to bring peace and harmony. And that's why we must be relational people of God, involved in small groups, involved in ministry, involved in people's lives, so that when crisis does occur, you and I can step into the midst of that crisis and bring hope and reconciliation and peace. When you're a peacemaker, we approach people with kindness, and we must be willing to engage in messy situations. The third trait of a peacemaker is that peacemakers bear the cost of reconciliation. You know, when you think about the word reconciliation, by definition, it means that there's a debt that is owed, right? There's something that somebody owes. If I were to go out to the parking lot and break your car window, would you say we have a problem? No? You're so sweet. I'm not doing it. Let's just pretend it happens, and let's pretend we have a problem. Okay? Can we do that? You and I have a problem. We have a damaged window and a damaged relationship. So there's two ways this works, right? Either I come to you and say, I'm sorry, I broke your window. Here's money. That'll pay for the window. Right? That's one way it can work. I pay, and that means I'm out of money. I don't have the money. Let's pretend I don't have the money. You can say to me, hey, but it's okay, I forgive you. I'll pay. That means you're out of the money. Either way, somebody's out of the money, right? Now, if I'm not willing to pay, and you're not willing to forgive, what happens? There's a problem. It's called a damaged relationship. It's a funny way to explain to you that you and I, we have damaged relationships, don't we? There's areas in our life where we've had issues where somebody has hurt us or somebody has done something and we don't look at them the same anymore. We don't have peace in that relationship. We have bridges that are broken. 
There's a cost to reconciliation. And Paul here says, I'm willing to pay. Notice verse number 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me your very self. What is Paul saying? No matter what Onesimus owes you, Philemon, I'll pay. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know if Philemon stole something and when he ran away. We don't know if this, this, it caused a disruption in the business that Philemon was running that cost him economically when he ran away. We, we're not sure. But whatever it is, Paul says, if he stole something... I'll make up for it. If he caused a a stall in your business, I'm good for the money. I'll pay the loss. What's Paul doing? He's removing all of the roadblocks, whether it's financial or whatever else, that stands in the way of bridging these two people together to bring reconciliation. He is willing to do whatever it takes to bear the cost of reconciliation himself. And verse 19 is basically his promissory note. It says, I will repay don't worry about the cost, Philemon. I'm good for it. I'm good for it. Receive him as you would receive me. How do you think Philemon would have received Paul? He'd have invited the church. He'd have thrown a party. There's a feast. There's a meal. There's, it's, it's happy. Philemon, take Onesimus in like you would accept me. Throw a party. Have a meal. Let's get together. Build a bridge. Come to the same conclusion I've come to, that this is a transformed man. This is a useful man, now no longer a slave, but a brother in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul does. He bears the cost of reconciliation. Now, having encouraged you to be a peacemaker, by engaging in messy situations, by being kind and loving and being willing to bear the cost, I need to give you a few caveats. All right? This is, this is the disclaimer. As I have already said, you need to have a relationship. Without a relationship between people, there's no reconciliation. You cannot bring harmony between two people you don't know. It's very hard. But even if you have a relationship, and even if you follow these three traits that we find here in this letter from Paul, doesn't guarantee success. There are things that you will do, there are things you will try, and nothing will work. Expect it to be difficult. It is not easy. People are messy. Peacemakers have to be tough. We have to be tough. In the couple of years that we were away, we had a family that we've known for over a decade, a couple that was part of our small group, and that small group stopped when we went to Germany. And whenever I came back on business, I would reach out to that couple, and we would have lunch together or dinner together. We'd meet up at a restaurant or wherever. And we, I would do that every time I came back, and I came back three or four times a year just for business. And always when I came back, we connected with that couple then the third year that we were away, I sent a text saying, hey, I'm coming back. I'd like to get together. Let, let me know what time is good. And very surprisingly and very unexpectedly, no response. What's going on? I call him. I text him. I, I email him. I call him. I text him. Nothing. There's no response. I'm, I'm, I'm here in the States. I'm calling. I'm texting. Nothing's happening. Finally get a hold of his wife who says, a couple months ago, he found another woman and moved out and filed for divorce. We've known this family for over 10 years. We love this family. They've been in our house. We've prayed together. We've loved each other. We, their kids love our kids and vice versa. What happened? You know, thinking we have relational equity, we, we tried to get in the middle, but that husband wanted nothing to do with us. 
wouldn't talk to us, did everything to avoid us. It is never easy, and success is not guaranteed. Know that this is a difficult process. Peacemaking is tough because people are messy. Let me also say that if you and I are going to be peacemakers, we cannot do this in our own strength. No amount of our own strength and our own training and our own resources are ever going to bring people together. The only person who can affect a change in people's heart is God. And until we saturate our attempt in prayer and humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, we will never bring two people together. Because it's only in Christ where reconciliation is found. And when we submit ourselves to Christ and submit that relationship in prayer, God can move and His Holy Spirit can give us the right words to speak so that we might be the peacemaker God wants us to be. So as I bring this message to a close, I want you to think about the three people that we talked about today in this passage. And which one do you happen to be? Perhaps this morning, you're Philemon. It's not your fault. The marriage is broken. It's not your fault. Your neighbor is upset with you. It's not your fault. The relationship is damaged. It's not your fault. You did nothing to cause the rift. But the relationship is broken. And you're hurt. You feel your rights are broken. You feel you're insulted. But can you be Philemon, as Paul encourages him, to extend forgiveness to the person who's hurt you? Because that, in essence, is the gospel, isn't it? Perhaps you're not Philemon. Perhaps you are the Onesimus in the story. Perhaps it's your fault. Perhaps you're the one that broke the marriage. Perhaps you're the one that caused the rift. You are the one that is at fault for the broken relationship. Is that you this morning? If it is you, can, you, can I encourage you to do what the Onesimus did, and that is admit that mistake and go back and face the person you've hurt and say, I'm sorry, it's my fault. Can you forgive me? God is most glorified when we humbly admit our mistakes and surrender ourselves before the mighty hand of God. God gets the glory. Relationships are healed. Perhaps today, that's not you. You're neither one of those people. But perhaps today, you're the Apostle Paul. You know two people who are estranged from each other. You know two parties who have a broken relationship. And you have relational equity with both of them. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to step into the midst of that with prayer and humbleness? moving toward them in kindness and love, into that messy situation, not being overly damaging or angry or violent, but in love and gentleness and kindness, willing to bear the cost of reconciliation to bring two people together. You know why that's such a beautiful thing? Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemaking doesn't start with you and it doesn't start with me. It starts with God. Because every one of us sitting here in this auditorium is an Onesimus or an SMI. Because every one of us insulted God. Every one of us hated God. We were enemies of God. And why we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. He came into this ugly, messy world. And in kindness, lived perfectly in this world. Demonstrating what peacemaking looks like. And ultimately, he hung on a cross bearing your sins and mine, paying a debt we could never pay, bearing the cross of reconciliation, shedding his own blood, giving his own life, so that you and I might be reconciled to a holy God. That's what Jesus did. The greatest peacemaker modeling peacemaking for us, he reconciled us to God so that you and I, once we're reconciled to God, can reconcile with one another. 
Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Today would be a fantastic day to come to know Him by faith. Because peace doesn't come from this world. It doesn't come from policy making. It doesn't come from truces. It comes from Jesus. It comes from the cross. Are you willing to accept the free gift of salvation that Jesus paid for you and for me? Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that you have been reconciled to God because that's where real peace starts. And when we have the peace of God, we can be peacemakers, bridging, making and building bridges with one another, bringing reconciliation between parties who are estranged from each other, being peacemakers who are blessed to be sons and daughters of God. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this amazing day and thank you for your amazing grace. And while we pray, Lord, there are many people here who have broken and damaged relationships. Perhaps it's their marriage. Perhaps it's a friend or a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. You know every tear. You know every heartbreak. You know every wound. You know every insult. You have actually borne it all. You've captured every tear. Father, I pray for healing in those relationships, that you would bring a peacemaker into their relationship to build a bridge like you did for us. Help us to live like you have lived, modeling you as our peacemaker, bringing life and hope and love and kindness into situations that are so messed up. Thank you for saving each one of us. And for those who are here who don't know you, would you continue to tug at their heartstrings to draw them to the cross, <coughs> to draw them to yourself, to help them see that there is no other way to find peace except through Jesus Christ. And help us to live that truth out in our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray.